morning. Welcome, everybody. Really excited to have you with us this morning. It's a, it's a great day in the Lord. And if you're new with us today, just want you to know how, how glad we are that you're with us. We believe that God brought you here. And it's not an accident that you're here with us today worshiping the Lord. Uh, the, but you're here, and we love you, and our hearts are for you. And us pastors just want you to know that. Um, if there's anything that we could do for you through the week, uh, our numbers are on the back of this bulletin. And you can call us up or text us, and we'll, we'll try to be whoever we can be for you. But man, we're, we're glad that you're here with us today. What a great day it is. We're going to do some baptisms here in a minute, and you're going to see that uh, Jesus has saved some people and that they're going to proclaim it to you. It's going to be a great thing. Uh, we have a couple of things between now and then. Uh, the, the Get Fit Night for ladies, the ladies group is having a Get Fit Night up at the uh, chapel on Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m., so um, it's not... You can't get out of that one. You guys do these ladies' things, and sometimes it's fun, and sometimes it's working out. And this time, it's working out, so don't skip that. Uh, bring your dumbbells. And then also, our church, we provide the snacks for collegiate ministries in the month of March. So that's the 7th and the 21st of March, so just uh, we need to get these snacks to the church soon. And uh, talk to Ashton. Make sure she knows that they're there so when the people come get them, um, we have them for them. And then we need to do that again on the 21st. So uh, please bring some snacks for that. That's our job to help support collegiate ministries. Then uh, the Portugal and Zambia mission trips are coming up this summer. And if you're on one of those teams, we're pretty excited about those two trips. Uh, We have a meeting next Sunday at 4 p.m. Make sure that you come to that meeting. And uh, make sure that uh, we're praying about those mission trips, that all of you that aren't going, um, just be praying for the people that are going. There's a lot of steps, a lot of commitment, a lot of money. They're expensive. And uh, these people just need need your support. We're the church. We're going to send these people out. So be part of that. And then uh, lastly, today after this service is the senior potluck. So if you're a senior and uh, you want to come eat with us, that'd be great. Just come across the hall when you're done, and it uh, should be a great time. We enjoy that time to get to know you guys and uh, spend some time with the seniors. So be a part of that if you can. Let's stand up. Let's worship the Lord. God, thank you so much for being our great God. Thank you that you brought us here, Lord. Thank you for the great work that you're doing among us, Lord. And thank you for the work that you're going to do today, God, in our hearts as we hear from you, Lord, as we We see you, Lord, as we feel you working in our hearts and moving in us to to worship you, to obey you, to repent, Lord, to lay our, our problems, Lord, down before you and let you take them, God. And all the things, Lord, that we're going to do this today, I pray that we would do them, Lord, knowing that you are a great God and you have a purpose for us, a great purpose, Lord, with love. Thanks for being our God. Amen. Amen. Let's begin by reading from God's word. So read with me if you would. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's why we're here this morning. One of our purposes is to bring him glory.
back to the Spanish version of that. I'll let Brenda read it to us in Spanish.
Um, we're going to do some baptisms now. So uh, you can move up, uh, video, uh, feel free to just come come uh, as close as you want or stand up because we're going to be down here. So, JC. Uh, hello. Some of you might be wondering what in the world I'm doing up here, uh, but I'm getting baptized. Uh, I've been baptized before. I was 15, and, uh, you know, I would have said that I probably got saved at 12 years old. Um, but, you know, after living my life, I don't believe there was, there was much fruit. And then um, I actually did die, and Christ gave me new life in uh, April 21st, 2018. I know for a fact you know, and so uh, ever since then, I've had no problem uh, expressing my faith uh, vocally. And, you know, when I first got saved, uh, I was wrestling with the fact, should I get baptized again? Should I not? And uh, I just didn't for whatever reason. And uh, last week I was convicted and, and I hadn't talked to my wife about it driving home. She was like, you should probably get baptized next week. And I was like, hmm, I was already thinking that. And then I, I'm in a class, and Monday was all about baptism, and it was just like God convicted me like to, to be obedient, to be honest. You know, it's been almost five years, uh, and um, so, yeah, forgive me for taking so long, but that's why, I'm, that's why I'm up here. JC, upon your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son. I think it's uh, Soraya. Yep. This is Soraya Zimmer. Come on down. Just come a little further. All right, stop right there. Wait, we want people to be able to see you. <laughs> do you see him out there? Yep. Soraya, do you know that Jesus came into your heart? Yes. Do you know that you were a sinner and that he died and rose from the dead to pay for your sins? Yes. And do you want to be his disciple now and tell everyone about Jesus? Yes. She's going to start right now. This is Vincent. Okay, um, I just want to pray. Lord, 
you, you grabbed me when I was weak. You grabbed me at the hardest part of my life. And I didn't deserve it. I'm, I'm a horrible man, and I'm a sinner. And I prayed to you not knowing what I was doing. And you still, you grabbed my hand when I was falling. So thank you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. I watched uh, Vincent on Thursday night. I watched him uh, uh, preach the gospel to a young man in his trailer house down in North Casper. And uh, the spirit was moving through Vincent. And this man knelt on the floor and accepted Jesus into his heart. So I know, (laughs) I know this is my brother. This is Brooke Putier. Brooke's not nervous. It's warm. Yeah, good. It's warm. Actually, you're so tall, you can step down. All right. Are you nervous? Brooke, do you know that you're a sinner? Yes. Do you know that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to pay for your sins? Yes. Have you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart to be with you forever? Yes. Are you ready now to go out and tell everybody that you know about Jesus? Yes. This is our first step as a disciple to to tell all of you about Jesus by her baptism. Ready? Brooke, my sister, because of your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, this is Michelle. I can can help you. It's not too slippery. It's not too cold. Okay. So I knew I was lost, and uh, I don't know. I knew I was going in the wrong direction. And I prayed, and I knew it was the right thing, and I called my friend Crystal, and I am here today, and I would like to be baptized. This is Pastor Jim Ritter. 
And uh, this is his grandson, Ezekiel, and he's going to baptize him. Come on down. Can you see everybody? All right. Ezekiel, I'm going to read a verse of Scripture here. And this is in in Galatians chapter 3. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Ezekiel, would you like to tell these people what happened? I prayed to God to come into my heart to save me from my sins. Yeah. Amen. Well, then, Ezekiel James Ritter. Yeah, I got the right kid, didn't I? (laughs) Well, as a sign of what God has already done in your heart through Jesus Christ, and in obedience to our Lord's commands, stand up straight. I'm going to raise my hand here. I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. While they're putting the stage back together, we're going to have our prayer time, um, and then we'll take the offering. Uh, Today, I'd like us to pray for our upward ministry. On Saturdays, we meet in our two gyms. We've got uh, 350 kids this year, and around 38 teams. I'm not exactly sure the number, but uh, it's pretty amazing. Yesterday, uh, you know, I hate to put any teams down, but um, my two teams won yesterday. <laughs> and I was amazed. One of, one of my girls, uh, we finished the game, and we're sitting down here. And just out of the blue, she says, uh, Jesus, was he, was he around uh, before creation? And I said, yeah, we'll talk more about it on Tuesday. Come back to our practice and we'll talk some more. But, uh, you know, God is opening the hearts of these kids to hear the gospel. So I just encourage you coaches to keep, keep sharing the word of God with these kids. 
And God will use that, and he'll bless that. Also, last Thursday, just, just as Vincent and Aaron went out and shared the gospel in North Casper, um, there were a number of teams that went out. And uh, Pat and I, we've put together some literature, and Pat's got some New Testaments. So Thursday nights at 5, we have a prayer time, and then at, by 5.30, we're out in the streets sharing the gospel with people. So come on out. Be a part of that. It's an exciting time, and God will use you for his glory. Let's pray for these different ministries. Father, I just pray that you would use your people right here at College Heights to preach the word of God, to go into homes and share the truth with people. I pray for our upward ministries as well, Lord. There's so so much need there, kids and parents and grandparents that come and hear the word of God and hear testimonies every week. I just pray that you would do a, a powerful work through your people that many would be saved, that the Holy Spirit would be drawing people to, to yourself, Lord. Thank you now that we can give our offerings and, and uh, just bless our fellowship today. I pray that the word of God would be preached with power, that the Holy Spirit would be at work. Thank you for all these baptisms, for all these people that came out today. What a blessing it is. May you get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Ah. Uh-huh. 
that testimony today. children, uh, third grade and up, can go to Super Church. And does anybody remember last week our pastor who's on vacation right now with his wife in California? Pray for their deliverance. Um, last week he taught us what Hosanna means. Anybody remember what Hosanna means? Yes! Thank you for listening to the first service this morning. (laughs) Save us now. Wow. Aren't you glad that we don't have to say, God, save us sometime in the future? He wants to do that right now. And maybe you're here today and you've seen these baptisms and you've heard these testimonies and you're going, I just wish God would do that for me.
Do you know that he's here today and he's ready to do that for you? Yeah, Hosanna, save us now. All we have to do is call out to him because he's calling out to you. He's calling you to himself right now. It may be uncomfortable for you and you may finally understood what that that happening is that you're experiencing anytime that you're around somebody who's bringing uh, explanation of God's word or singing a song about Jesus that's what that is the Holy Spirit is saying to you I want you let's pray God here we are today and uh, thank you for calling us here God, we say with the crowds and with the children, Hosanna. God, save us now. Lord, help us to become so um, commonplace in your presence as we approach you and speak to you and listen to you. That we find our comfort with you rather than apart from you. Lord, use your word today. Please govern my thoughts and and my lips and the ears of all who are here and who would hear. God, that you would speak to our hearts. You would save us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have here this morning something that's very important to me. I'll show it to you. It's very small, size 18, Prince Nymph. Some of you are saying, I have no idea what he's talking about. Others of you are going, oh, this man is a good man. (laughs) Can you see it? There it is in all its glory. It's a size 18. It's not my favorite fly. My favorite fly is called a trico, and it's one that I tie myself. This is used to catch a trout, they tell me. <laughs> I keep trying. But the, the trico that I tie has two of my dog's hairs because she gives them out all the time. So I need to use them. And so I take two of those and I take a little tiny, sometimes a size 22, which is about, well, really, it's only as long as maybe maybe a thin pencil. So it's real small. And, and I tie two little white hairs on the tail and wrap black thread around it all the way up to the point where I little tiny strip of foam less than an eighth inch wide and I'll... It's white, and I make wings on that, and then I wrap that and tie it off. And then I tie that to the end of uh, a gossamer thread, a gossamer web of tippet, hopefully so that the fish can't see it, because I sure can't. And I tie that with a knot, and then that's tied to my leader and then to my fly line, and it comes down my fly rod all the way onto my reel, and it's attached to me. And I take this creation that I've made and I throw it out. Oh, try to get it out maybe as far as Hunter. Hunter, wave your hand so everybody can see how far I'm throwing it. 
And I try to watch that float down the river. All right? And it's a very small. And its attachment is the knot that I've made. And it's a creation of mine. And that fly, as it floats down the river, is supposed to respond to me. Right? Sometimes as God's creation, and particularly as God's new creation, we feel like that fly, so small and insignificant. And we're floating out on this river full of other things, bugs and trash. And Does God really even see us? Does he even really care? And God has thrown us out into the world after he's made us, and he's got a job, he's got intent. We are there for his purposes, and we're attached to him by his knot, and we're attached to him, and our, our job, our purpose is to respond to him, to what he's doing out there. And it's as if, if we keep looking up that line, we can see, and that's our attachment, to understand what we're supposed to do. And in this case, the purpose is to catch a fish. But God has thrown us for the purposes that he has in mind, sometimes it's definitely to bring in the harvest, but it's to be light and salt in this world and to show this world who Jesus is. And so often, we don't look up the line. We don't respond to him. And, and we go, ah, he can't see me anyway. What, you know, there's all these other bugs out here. I'm just kind of lost in the whole scheme of thing. What's my purpose? And, Does it really matter? And we fail to pray. And we don't communicate with him. We don't respond to him because we're not listening to him. We're not looking to him. And we're concerned about our lives instead. We're concerned about the creatures out there that are coming after us. And we don't pay attention to the fact that God has created us for a relationship with him. To be tied onto his line. To be used for his purposes. It becomes very clear in this passage that we're going to read that God takes that seriously, but it also becomes very clear how real that is that God intends for us to be about His things, do His bidding. So look with me, if you would, in Matthew chapter 21. And my, I'm going to have to talk fast, so I may sound like an auctioneer here in a little bit trying to get through this, okay? So you listen fast. Matthew chapter 21, we'll start with verse 12 and we'll read through verse 22. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. It says, and Jesus entered the temple and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, yes. 
Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. And in the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it, and he found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? Jesus answered them, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. What an amazing passage, and it's kind of astounding, too. I mean, a lot of questions come out. What did God have against all these people in the temple, and what kind of, what was wrong with him? He had a fit right there in the temple, and why did he get so mad at the fig tree? Didn't he make that fig tree, and it wasn't even the time for figs? What's wrong with Jesus? Yeah, I know you're saying, Max, you are rude. I would never, and yet we do. We look at our life. God, do you not see what's going on? God, I liked that. Why did you take that away from me? What's wrong with you, Jesus? Do you just not like me? That's a real thought that we come across and that we think and we have to deal with. But if we will stop and we will listen and we will look, we'll look up that line at our Creator and listen And learn, we'll see, he is so very intent on making sure that he is glorified and that people have relationship with him. I mean, here it is. Jesus cleanses the temple. And it it plays on so much other uh, events that we read in Scripture that has happened in Jesus' life. He's, He's coming into the temple, and John has him... Uh, first time, and this would be the second time. The first time was shortly after he began ministry, and it's right before he changed water into wine. He cleanses the temple. He chases all the people out. You read that in John chapter 2. And in that event, he um, gets ready for what he will do next. It also harkens to this time of of where Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, where the Holy Spirit takes him into the wilderness right after he's baptized, and it says specifically to be tempted by the evil one. And he fasts and he prays, and so here we see this picture of Jesus going through these temptations and responding with Scripture, saying it is written. And here he has said, have you not read? And he hearkens back to the Scripture. in the temptation in the wilderness, he says, this is what the scripture says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have to understand I'm the one who wrote the scripture. You've read or you've heard, but this is what I'm saying to you that this means. And now here he says, pay attention. It's already written. Have you not read? So it's very much about that. But it also deals with this fact that He cleansed the temple three years earlier, according to John. 
And now things are back. In fact, they're worse. We'll look at that. In, in John's account early on, Jesus comes into the temple and he begins making a whip. What would that do to you if you saw Jesus making a whip? Have you ever seen him make a whip in your life? I mean, there he is braiding the leather looking at you. Oh, my. I, 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 please just tell me now, Jesus. I'll, I'll get rid of it, whatever it is. But they didn't. And so he plows through the temple. He drove out those who sell. He drove out those who buy and all the animals in John's account. And he overturned the changing, the money changing tables and the dove seller seats. And he says this, this is not to be a house of trade. Now in Matthew's account, three years later, he says, it's not just a house of trade that you're dealing with. It's become a house of robbers. In John's account, it ends up with him pointing to his death and resurrection, saying, you're going to destroy this temple, but three days later, I'll raise it again. I'm not talking about this physical edifice of stone and, and brick and wood. I'm talking about my body. You'll come rise again three days later. So he's dealing with that, and when we get to this three years later, again he enters the temple, and when he enters the temple, he sees that it's not only the same as it was when he cleansed it the last time. Now it's, it's worse. He says, I've got to rid this house of robbers. It had become that kind of commerce where it, in order to worship, you had to basically pay to get in. Robbers. The money changers were there to make sure that everybody had the right currency because you were supposed to, according to the law, you were supposed to bring a half a shekel. Well, nobody had a half a shekel. So you would go in with another man and you would, together, you would pay your half shekel. It called for this partnership, this, this mutual, you know, observance of that temple tax. But then they would have all these currencies from wherever they were coming from. If they were on a far journey, they would come and they would have... I don't know, Syrian coin, that wasn't going to work. So then the money changers had to, had to have that changed into shekels, and so they had to make a living too. So they were making money off that, but they were there parked right there in the temple to do that. And it's the same with the animals. You know, here's Zeph coming from a long distance, and he's got his goat for his sacrifice. It's the firstborn according to the law. He's made sure it's not got any flaws, and he's taking it this long trip to get to the temple. Well, it had come to the point where there were stories where some of the people would bring perfectly good animal, but the priest would find something wrong with it and say, no, this hair, this hair is a mark of, of, of flaw, and so you can't have this. But we have another one right over here. You can purchase this one. We'll take your animal. And they would resell that animal to the next person. So it become this robbery. So there, here's Zeph coming with his goat. And finally, he's hoping it'll be accepted as a sacrifice. And this corrupt priest is standing there saying, Ah, uh, Zeph, that's not going to make it. That goat will never work as a sacrifice. You're going to have to get another one. And why would you even bring a three-legged goat anyway? And Zeph says, Well, it was a long journey and a man's got to eat. Okay, so that's a bad joke, but nonetheless, that's the point. They would be dragging these animals over long distances, and, 
and they're going to get hurt. Things are going to happen, and they're going to have to buy a new one. And so they're having to pay to get their sacrifice animal. And they have to pay, and it's costing them. And Jesus is saying, you have not now remained as a place of trade. Now you've become a, a place of a den of robbers. And so he plowed through it. He drove out those who sell. He drove out those who buy. He overturned the money-changing tables. And even the dove seller seats where they would sell to the poor, like Mary and Joseph. You know, you can't afford much, but we've got a pigeon here you can have, and we'll, we'll sell it to you for a small pie. Even those were, were robbing. And Mark even adds in his gospel that by the end of it, Jesus wasn't letting anybody carry anything through the temple. He shut the place down. Think of that. All of this is going on. This cacophony of all these animals and money changers and everybody yelling out, I got a better price over here. And all of this is going on. And Jesus comes through. And literally the word means he overturned like a plow, digging deep, turning that soil to get to a new place. He was not going to allow it just to, well, clean it up and use it as it is. He says, we're going to get rid of all this. And he chased them all out. No one's standing there. Jesus is standing there. He shut it all down. Nobody gets to carry anything through. You can hear the quiet before anybody can come. He restored it as a prayer, as a house of prayer to the nations. He says, it's my house. Jesus calls it my house, the temple, my house. And it's a house of prayer. That word prayer means to speak good things towards The temple was to be a place where people would come from all over the nations and speak towards God good things. Let me show you where this comes from. It's Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah chapter 56. The prophet is writing and he's making it clear that God's intent wasn't just to isolate a group of people called Israel and keep them as the best and everybody else doesn't count. His purpose was to bring in those who were outcasts, those who had problems with them and needed remedies, to bring them in, and those who would be from foreign lands and left out. And by the time we pick up in verse 6, he says, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful In my house of prayer, their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. A house of prayer, that's what he calls us to. We... We need to be looking up that line. So many times we, we don't. We wonder why we're floating in the water, what our purpose in life is, and we don't ever look up the line. We don't come together to pray for each other so many times. When Jesus made it clear at the beginning of his ministry and at the end, we're to be his house of prayer. So I got some questions. Number one, how do we make, how do you and I make 
the temple of the Holy Spirit that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, saying that, don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And he speaks not just of our individual bodies. He's definitely talking about that in ridding ourselves of immorality. But he also goes on and he talks about the body of Christ, us fitting together. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so my question is, how do we make the temple of the Holy Spirit into a den of thieves or even a house of trade? What are the things that we do that are so distracting? Because you see, the animals and the traders needed to take care of that outside of the temple courts. What do we do that we make ourselves into a den of thieves or even just a place of trade, a common place, instead of a house of prayer? Well, a couple of things. One is we come together to get our needs met, our likes met, our tastes satisfied. So often, don't we? You know, I don't really like that song, Isaiah. Could we do a different one? You know, because it's all—it's about me anyway. Or, you know, they didn't tell me that Pastor Mike was going to be gone today. We have to listen to Max. We do things like that. I don't like that church because it's in a gym. What, what kind of things that we do to meet our needs when we come together instead of coming looking up the line? And our Lord and our Master. And saying, what are you doing? What are you wanting to do in me, through me? We also make ourselves into that place of trade because we don't prepare before we come. I mean, Jesus said, get all this stuff out of my temple. This is to be about prayer. And it is so hard for us to get ready to come. So we come to get ready. Oh, I'll go to church because I'll go to church and God will make me right. Instead of saying, God, I I don't want to go and I'm not ready to go and pray with my brothers and sisters. I'm not ready to go to worship till I get you and me right first. And I know it's hard. I mean, you get ready, right? You, Sunday morning comes. You planned everything Saturday night. You have everything ready. You get, get up. Your alarm clock goes off late or you didn't hear it or you hit snooze one too many times. Or you, and you're getting everything running and you finally you are getting the kids ready. And you look at your wife and say, do we have kids? Because it's all ch- chaos when you're trying to get there. But listen. It's like that every day of the week as well. And we've got to get ready before we go. So what would that take? I mean, do you need to spend, set your alarm? Oh, I hate to say this word. It's a horrible word. Earlier? So you can get up and spend time with the Lord? Do you need to set a time aside at night before you go to sleep and pray? And listen to the Lord and commune with Him. What do you need to do? 
Here's another question. How have we not made it a house of prayer for the nations? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is we don't like to get together to pray. We just don't. Being honest. On the 19th of this month, we will have our quarterly uh, prayer time where we dismiss all our adult and youth Sunday school classes and we come in here in this building and we get in groups and we pray and every time and you know it's true every time the the numbers go down on that Sunday because people don't want to come and pray they don't want to come and pray why do we not want to come and pray we avoid times of prayer we used to have a quarterly time up in the chapel up on the hill where we would come and we would gather on a Wednesday night we'd dismiss our Wednesday night classes and we would all come together and pray and every time you heard the conversations that I heard people going oh is this prayer night right and we do that why is that well I know some of the reasons you you don't want to pray in front of a hypercritical person that's going to judge your prayer words right and we know that that's what they are them not us but all of those other people that would listen to us pray that's what they're thinking they're judging us right no do you know that you can come to a prayer time here and you do not ever have to open your mouth you can simply say i really don't want to pray out loud And you know what? They will come and get me or they will come get one of the other preachers and we'll come and sit down with you and have a talk with you until you get it right. No. We just want to pray together. If words come out of your mouth, that's great. If they don't, great. But they got to come out of your heart. We need to be praying together. But we avoid those times. We also neglect to plan to pray. We don't set our clocks 30 minutes ahead. And we also miss our call to pray. We don't see that that person who is jamming up the line is somebody that we need to be praying for and caring for. We don't seem to understand that that person that is asking us questions we don't know the answers to Somebody we need to be praying for or with. And we'd miss the prompts. You know, in Islam, they have seven calls five times a day to call people to pray. Five times a day, you hear the guys in the minarets calling out these calls to prayer. In the middle prayer, the middle call of those seven calls, there five times a day, says simply this, come to prayer. In the morning, the first call to prayer, it adds an eighth line that says, prayer is better than sleep. I know, right? Who are they fooling? Right? Even the apostles, the disciples, they got to sleep when they prayed, right? Jesus had to come and wake them up. Now, see, that system of religion demands that you pray those five times a day. That's part of being a Muslim. But you see, in Christ, if he has changed us from being that natural bug floating on the water and has instead created us as a new creature and tied us to his line and thrown us out to use us, 
we ought to be praying all day long, as Paul said, praying without ceasing so that we don't need a call to prayer five times. Hmm. It's interesting, we don't have these doors locked much of the time. We do when nobody's here. But even then, if you want to come and pray, we'll make sure you know how to get in. But we don't run into that problem. It's not very often that that one of the pastors or one of the leaders of a Bible study comes in going, Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were in here praying. I'll leave. I'll go find another place. That happens very, very rarely. You know why? Because we don't come to pray with each other. We have spot prayer meetings all throughout the week with different people, but very rarely do we see more prayer meetings growing? Have you paid attention to what's happening in Asbury again? Those crazy people have gotten together to pray and they don't want to leave. What is wrong with them? Jesus. Right? Do you know how much God wants just to sit down and talk with you? All day long? And it's not going to all be about the stuff you're doing wrong. It's going to be about how much he loves you and the things that he wants to happen in your life and the wonders of this world that he's created. It's interesting what follows this passage that we've looked at all the way down to the fig tree. Right after that is this abrupt encounter. We are looking at the first confrontations that Pastor Mike talked about last week that let the confrontations begin. Well, this is the first one. And so then what follows is, is a setup of more confrontations. We follow from this, you know, the authority of Jesus. And Jesus says, well, tell me who the authority for John was. He tells this story of two sons who one repented and did what was right after he said no and the other one sloughed it off. He talks about the parable of the tenants who come and they massacre the owner, the owner's son of the vineyard so they can have it for themselves. And, and then he talks about this wedding feast where he sends out finally the servants say just invite everybody in because my guests are not coming and then All of that to say, the people who should be in the temple, I've thrown out because they're not doing what's supposed to be doing in the temple. And the people who are supposed to be in the temple aren't in the temple. And so then finally, after Jesus cleanses the house, what follows is then that people are starting to come to Jesus. And look who comes to Jesus. It's the blind and the lame. It's the children. Listen, what would it look like if we honestly allowed Christ to cleanse our temples and our temple and we begin to pray? It became again a house of prayer, a wonderful house of prayer. We would see those who can't see coming to see. We would be able to help those who walk, walk, or who can't walk, walk. We would see God do miracles. We'd also see quite a few people get indignant. That's what happened here. When we come together, we should come praying. And we should come praying for ministry. And we should come praying to do ministry. That we get to help. And I'm not just speaking figuratively of helping the blind to see. Here it was real live. A blind person got to see physically. It would not be 
something that would be abnormal for God to heal somebody. And he does it. He's healed a lot of us in a lot of different ways physically. But definitely the principle is there that he wants us to see truth. To see the glories of God. And we get to help those people when they come. The same with the lame. Those who can't, they just don't know how to walk in life. We get to help them if we have Christ and if we're praying. We should also come prayerfully to worship. You know, the children were simply singing, Hosanna to the Son of David. That title, Son of David, means that's the king. Save us now, king of glory. And the, the Pharisees and the scribes got upset. Uh, They got indignant. And yet scripture calls us to praise. It's interesting. Jesus said and he recited this statement of Isaiah. You've prepared praise. That word prepared praise. Excuse me. That's not. uh, I think it's Zechariah. But he says you've prepared praise. And that's a word that means you've adjusted down. And here's what he's saying is. God wants praise. And so he's going to. Adjust down so the children can praise. That means so much to me because he's got to adjust down to me a lot. I will miss it. There And you do too. There's so much that we ought to praise God for and we just miss it. We don't see it or if we do see it, we dismiss it. So that he adjusts it down for my level so that I can look up that line and I can be responsive to him and I can see simple things like, wow, God... You made trees that have this wood in them. That's remarkable. That's incredible wood. God, you did that. I'm telling you, I'm simple. And he adjusts it down so that a child can cry out. And he adjusts it down because he intends for you to cry out. And he is even so willing, if you refuse, he'll adjust it down so the rocks cry out. He wants us to praise him. So then the questions are, first of all, do you need to recognize your incompetence and your sinfulness and come to Jesus vulnerable and humble? It's the only way you can come to him, just like a child, just like a lame man, just like a blind man. Come to Jesus. Secondly, do you need to come, or do you come, rather? You don't need to, but do you come with indignance at the inappropriate behavior of others? That word, indignant, means agonized. They were agonized that people would do things that were so inappropriate. These children are crying out. They're not even supposed to be here. We don't want children here. That's why we send them to super church. No, that's not why we send them to super church. Let me put that to rest. Because we're adjusting down so that they can praise the Lord, okay? That's what we're doing. It's our intent. But we agonize over it. Oh, that's inappropriate. We can't do that. Did you see the t-shirt that they were wearing in the baptistry? I didn't, by the way, so I don't know what they said. But we get sometimes indignant and we get grieved, agonized over the things that we should not get over, agonized over. They were agonizing because these children were crying out, Save us, King! Son of David, save us. Oh, don't let 
the Romans hear that because they'll come in and they'll take away the king that we hate already, Herod, and they'll make us bow to Caesar. Oh, don't let them cry out, Jesus. That's inappropriate. And Jesus is saying, have you not read? Have you not heard? Spend some time in my word and listen to me. Look up the line to me and respond to what I'm trying to get you to do. How will you let the Father praise the Son through you? When he gets this done and then he turns to this final thing where where we have to deal with the fig tree. Now Mark has this where he sees the tree when they go into the temple and he sees the tree um, and at that time he curses it and then they come back out and the, the apostles see it then that it withered immediately as Jesus cursed it on the way in and then they see it when they get out. That seems to fit well. But the problem that we have is why would Jesus curse a tree that he made when it didn't make fruit in the season that he didn't make it to make fruit in? Right? What's wrong with Jesus? Well, we need a little horticulture lesson here, okay? There's a thing on the figs, on the fig trees that's called, and I'm going to get this right as much as I can, called a taquash. T-A-Q-S-H, taquash. And it's a pre-fruit, a pre-fig, if you will. And when the leaves come out, those little buds come on there, and a lot of times people would walk by and they'd see the buds and they would snip those off and it's a nice little tasty snack. It's not as good as a fig. It's certainly not as big or as juicy or sweet, but it's just a little snack, you know, kind of like granola on the fly. And so they would, we would have those and those would be expected with a tree that had the leaves already growing on it because that symbolized then that figs were going to come later. If you had the tequash, then you knew you were going to have figs. It's kind of like a pre-fig, a precursor. It's a promise of promissory fruit if you will and Jesus saw it had none it's not about the fig tree it's about the temple my house shall be called a house of prayer you've made it into a den of thieves I've already come to it once and cleaned it out I expect to see some prayer going on there instead I get there and it's worse I come to a fig tree, I expect to see some tequash. It's barren. You'll never produce fruit. You see? And so he speaks to us. And it's God's right. He has every right as the creator to gain fruit from us upon demand. Even if it's out of season. Because he's our creator. There's no prayer in the temple. That means there's not going to be any ministry and no worship and no prayer. The tree's gone. Just a few years later, the temple's going to be gone. But he calls us to faith. And he says, you know, they're surprised at the the immediate withering. And Jesus calls them to faith. He says, you've got to pray in faith. He says, you can even pray in this mountain will go throw itself into the, into the ocean. And he expects the disciples 
to use faith, just as he expects them to bear fruit, like he talks about in John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He expects us to use faith. And the effects of a prayer and faith are immediate. James talks about that. But miracles require faith and not doubt. And he uses this word here, doubt, talking about, you know, pulling it apart, trying to see how it's working. And he says prayer must have faith. It's interesting in Mark's gospel, he says that Jesus immediately ties this prayer and this faith that can move mountains or kill a tree to forgiveness. Hmm. He's saying, if you have a little bit of faith, you can throw a mountain into the ocean. Or you can forgive somebody. How difficult do we find it to forgive people? Jesus says this comes through faith. So another question, what does your life offer the one who made you? Are you offering ripe fruit? Are you offering those little tequash precursors that show promise and productivity? What are you offering, Christ, with your life? I wrote this statement down, and I want to get it right because I think it's true that to a certain extent, to a certain extent, limited in capacity, to a certain extent, we are amazed by God's work to the degree of our lack of faith. In other words, we find ourselves, when God does something, he answers a prayer, he does something, we go, wow, that's mind-blowing. When really, to the degree that we really know God, we're not amazed when he does mind-blowing things. We expect God to be normal like us instead of normal like him. How mind-blowing it is that God could make a fig tree. How mind-blowing is it that God could take you like a bug and create you instead to be used for His purposes. Finally, what does your prayer volume look like? What does your prayer volume look like? How much time is that little thing floating in life amongst all the other things floating in life that God sees very clearly He's never lost count or track of you? How often, how much time do you spend looking up the line to respond to what He wants? I want to encourage us to let God cleanse our temples and our temple and make us a house of prayer for the nations. Let's pray. Hmm. God, I'm guilty on so many, so many counts according to this word. And 
and live among a people who are guilty on so many counts. Our desire, Father, is that you would clean us. You would make us a house of prayer for the nations. That we would not quench your spirit. We would not resist you. But we would immediately respond to everything that you give us to do. So help us, Lord. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me and sing and respond? Pastors will be at the front.
plan because we're going to raise that lid and we're going to baptize Tola, who's given her life to Christ, and she wants to be baptized today. All right, so keep singing. If you want to stay, please do. You, you can leave if you need to, but we're going to stay. We're going to celebrate with Tola, okay? So go ahead and be seated. We'll continue singing. sufficient merit. This is Tola Condelario, and I was talking to her a couple of weeks ago about what Jesus is doing in her and her husband's life, and this is how we respond to the Lord right here, people. We just hear the Lord speak to us, and we can obey. This is happening right before our very eyes. Got something you want to say? Yes. There's a baptism this morning. The Lord Jesus touched my heart. August 13th, 2020, I died three times, and the Lord saved me. He wasn't done with me that day. He gave me a new life, and with that new life, I want to follow him in baptism. Praise Jesus. Paula, my sister, because of your profession and faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If uh, you've been baptized today and you would, you're a part of this church now, we'd love for you to come back up here so everybody can greet you and welcome you. And so uh, you make your way up here. Come on, Brooke. All right. And we'll greet you and welcome you in. While you're coming, we'll pray. God, thank you so much for what you're doing here in our midst. God, we want to praise you. Please, God, move in a mighty way in our city that many would be saved. Your name would be glorified. And we pray it in your son Jesus' name. Amen.